Welcome to the One Oahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, May 4th, 2023. And back with us this week is Mayor Rick Blangiardi. Mayor, thanks for always making time with us. I know your time is valuable. No, no, absolutely. I love doing this with you, Brandi, and hopefully we're going to have a great session here. Monday was Lay Day. What yes. a remarkable celebration yeah. put on by DPR. Every year, it's, it's Every great. Year. But what do you think made this year's event so special? Well, we had a bigger crowd. I was there. We had it last year at the park, too. It just felt, um, you know, it was sort of the essence of, of, our, of our local Hawaiian cultural heritage. You know, it just embodies everything, not just about the lay and its meaning, but, you know, the, the court, the queens, the dances, the music, just the feeling, especially in a setting like that. It was, it was really, it was reverential. It was, it was really good. I think everybody who was there today really were glad they were there. I know I was. It felt really privileged. It was beautiful. Let's catch up on a few things that have happened since our last podcast. Sure. Last week's town hall meetings took you out to Ben Parker Elementary in Kaneohe, where haiku stairs was a hot topic. How did that series of questioning, the issues brought up, how did that end? Well, you know, it's sort of an ongoing story in a way, but how it ended the other night uh, was, first of all, prior to the town hall, we went out to haiku stairs. And to be honest with you, I had never been to the base of the stairs before and it was in pouring rain and everything. So it was a little bit of an adventure. We met with a group out there that um, has been you know, an advocate, a strong advocate for managed access to the stairs. And they kind of showed us, if you geographically, we had to drive around and walk around over an extensive area and how they would try to do it to circumvent the neighborhood. Um, you know, and so from that standpoint, uh, I, I understood now firsthand not only the fact that it really is in the middle of a neighborhood, even though there's a little bit of a fence, but all the various entry points as well that people use, again, trespassing through people's homes. We told everybody that we would keep an open mind, uh, but that said, our decision to take down the stairs as of today still holds, and in fact, as Brian Gallagher reported last week, our deputy director from the Department of Design and Construction, we're turning it out to bids now at this point. Um, Look, it's a majestic operation. When you sit there, you look at the base of those stairs, you see it going up almost through the clouds uh, like it was the other day. I guess maybe because we had low-hanging clouds, and I'm sure it's a wonderful experience. Um, but as we've promised and we've said all along, we're paying attention to people who live there. And even at the town hall the other night, which was a packed place at the gymnasium, or the cafeteria, I guess, um, I asked how many people of you are in favor have haiku stairs, and I would say less than a quarter of the people actually stood up that were there. Mm -hmm. and it's not like we're trying to make it divisive. I was just curious, you know, where the passion was and how extensive it was. Uh, so, you know, uh, we still think right now, absent some convincing argument yet to take place, that our decision is the right one. Another issue that came up the week before, you know, we kind of knew haiku stairs was going to be one of them, mm -hmm. but the week before something came up that maybe we weren't as familiar with, a pool, specifically wow. for like students in Kahuku yeah. um, and you know the water polo team. Right. What's the status on that pool? Well, that's out in Laie, right? So, you know, I was surprised that that became the number one subject. I mean, we, even though we've asked people, we try, because I moderate the meetings, to keep it to a topic that once we feel like we've sufficiently handled it, let's leave it and move along in the spirit of us trying to answer as many different questions. But it was clear there was a strong advocacy group in a very nice way. Look, you have no argument on, on what they're trying and what they're asking for. I mean, they even brought the Kahuku High School 
you know, swimming coach mm-hmm, to the meeting mm-hmm. with her team there. You know, I mean, admittedly, we're out in the ocean out there. We're surrounded by water, beautiful beaches. But the kinds of training and the competitive swimming and, and, and really, quite honestly, even teaching people how to swim, mm-hmm. the pool is really good. Uh, they, they, and so uh, the fact that they've never had a pool out there, or for that matter, a gymnasium, or for that matter, one of the other things we talked about is the resiliency hub and the event of mm-hmm. a really seminal moment should we have a horrific weather event, where would people go to hide? You know, in town, you can drive up. You can drive up to St. Louis Heights and all the other high places. Out there, there's nowhere to go. There's mm-hmm. no road access up into the mountains like we have here. And, um, and the population has grown out there. So, you know, we talked about those things. I, I think, going back to your question, I want to follow up, as we were told that AES, the folks that put in the big wind turbines mm-hmm. in Kahuku, had put an offer on the table for two and a half million um, to be used how the community saw best, and they would match another, an additional million and a half if somebody else, a government or private sector player, were to come up. And so while we have not uh, sorted out how we get that million and a half, that seems like a feasible number, I think the possibility, I need to get out and see AES. I'm going to talk mm-hmm. to former Senator Gil Rivera, who brought this up and made me aware. Uh, but the possibility of us being able to put together $5.5 million, I know at least we'll build us a pool. I don't think it's enough to build a gym, but we could see where we go with that. But as I said to them the other night, it was true. That was in Lai, but it came up in Kaneohe again over right. the last two mm-hmm. since you and I did this. Places where people play is really important in these communities. And we've heard throughout about parks, you know, uh, and other things, but I want to stay really sensitive and open-minded. You know, just this past Sunday, we opened up the Cocoa Head Shooting Range. We Mm -hmm. were out there last week to announce that it would be opening, and it got off to a great start. In fact, I even wrote Laura Thielen saying, we have to do this on the west side, too, because of, uh, uh, of the situation. So I think as an administration, for all, since we opened up talking about Lay Day, for all the cultural sensitivity that we have, we certainly want to be more than just mindful and respectful, that we have, and maybe it's my bias, but I, I understand the value of play. Maybe it's the old coach in me or whatever, but I, I'm all for doing whatever we can really do, not just lip service, to see if we can't create some different venues and make some things happen. I'm thrilled, because last week we did the press conference on the grand opening of the grand opening, the opening of the White Pahu Pool. Right. It's been closed for nearly seven years. I didn't even can't understand why. I didn't ask the details. Uh, our feeling was, let's get it open in time for summer fun. And I think within a week or two, we're going to be out of Pearl City to announce that complex is opening up. But again, this pool was closed for years. And you think about Waipahu, you think about Pearl City, and to have municipal pools that have been closed for years, that's so wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I think about a community like Laie and, 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 and the athletes that come out of that area from Kahuku and all sports, not, not just football, mm-hmm. as the coach told us. They had a lot of swimming champions and stuff. I mean, and, and for the community itself, you know, this is all the way from young kids, you know, Keiki really all the way to Kapuna. I, I, I know enough about swimming pools to know that they really benefit across all demographics. So. I think it's one of those serious things. It's not an impossible task. You know, they're not asking us to go out and, you know, and like some of the things I've looked at lately that are just, I don't think we'd ever, you know, find the money. Uh, this is something that should be doable. And anything we can do to help improve the quality of life, especially when it comes to play and that equation of live, work, and play, I want to do that. 
Yeah, it seems so Manini, a swimming pool, right? But the question came up to you last week. What does this mean for the community? Did you have experiences growing up? I can see you doing screwdrivers and gainers to, into the pool <laughs> oh, yeah, in me, Massachusetts, right? Yeah, like man, I was killed by something. First of all, I went off the diving board. No. <laughs> but I, no, I look, I grew up in a city, I, and I grew up in a different time. I grew up in the 50s where n- nobody had pools in their yards, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. But we were in, in New England and Boston area, not far from beaches. But I can tell you, or lakes for that matter. Lakes were really dirty and beaches were freezing cold. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. when I first came to Hawaii, I couldn't believe the warmth of the water. I mean, back in New England, if you walked into the ocean, if you walked into it and stood up ankle, just ankle deep, your whole body hurt, okay? You literally had to run in that and be a crazy young kid to do that. It's, it's a real, it was a real challenge. So, no, we, uh, but we had, uh, I think it was probably sometime around the age of 10 or 12, uh, the, what they used to call the Metropolitan District Commission, I mentioned this at the town hall, built this pool up near the Museum of Science on the other side of the Charles River, right down the street from the Boston, um, the shell there, I forget what, yeah, anyway, uh, we used to walk to that place, it was incredible to go to a public swimming pool, mm-hmm. that was the only thing that we had close to, so, but I always thought in the days of summer and the joys of our youth, those are always great experiences. And I you know, and here we are where people can enjoy pools year round. And, you know, in New England, it was like 60 days, basically. <laughs> Maybe 90 if you wanted to stretch it where you would go to a pool. Maybe. I can remember Memorial Day cookouts wearing a jacket and Labor Day cookouts wearing that same jacket. And in between somewhere, we called it summer, you know. Um, and so in this case, you know, these are, have high utilitarian value for the community. It just makes sense. It's a great investment. On the front page of Monday's paper was a story on Aloha Stadium. Yeah. A $320 million option would have room for 27,500 spectators, including tiered grass seating and no roof. Yeah. Does, does that work in your mind? No. You know, I read, this, I read the article <laughs> early this morning, and I've been out of the stadium conversation, and I'm not here as mayor to second-guess anybody. But as a guy who played and coached in the old stadium and went through the entire transition, spent many, many years in Aloha Stadium, and looking at, as we do, and everything we encounter here at the city, the future, this really does not seem like a good plan. And now even today I read that they're talking about in time for the 28th season. I really worry about the UH football program. I don't think people understand the ramifications of the disadvantage of not having a stadium as it relates to recruiting and everything else that manifests from there, not the least of which is the money. It takes money today to compete in Division One football. It's in a different realm. I don't know what the future of the NIL will be or the transfer portal because both of those are coming under heavy controversy because it's already proven in just a couple of years to be very dysfunctional, but I don't think they're going away either. But boy, we don't even have the opportunity to bring in a really good athlete or maybe even hold a really good athlete here if the best we could show them for their entire now college career mm-hmm. would be to play up at Ching Field, and that would be it for somebody who, you know, their dream is, their aspiration. They want to play. They want to play in front of 50, 60, 75,000 people, and you can't blame them. They want to play on national television. They want to play for serious bowl games, mm-hmm. and and you can't fault anybody for that ambition. You want to encourage that, and we're taking all that off the table uh, here. Not that it comes as any surprise, but the lack of urgency about this, and quite honestly, the lack of vision, the way they're trying to finesse this thing, and now into bleachers only and grass tiered seating, that's not, that's not, that's not in sync with Division One football. It's just not. And so again, I'm not trying to be critical of anybody. We're talking about a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but wow, um, we're not helping the UH football program at all. Another newspaper story this week dealed with the budget. Uh, as of right now, what's the status of your proposed budget as it makes its way through city council? I know the chair had some concerns on long-term well, tax relief. Well, there's a lot of talk going back and forth, right? You know, and I thought there was an article in, in this last Sunday's paper that kind of characterized it. It was, it was and to Chair Waters' credit, you know, he was being respectful of our position. Mm -hmm. While I understand the need to provide some long-term tax exemption, you know, we've done a one-off this year for three hundred dollars, which equates to an eighty-six thousand uh, dollar additional home exemption to the hundred and fifty-two thousand homeowners that we have, um, you know, across the board, that was not a small investment back to the community. That's forty-five and a half million dollars, um, and so looking at something longer term uh, to see what they can incorporate, not for the twenty-four budget, but really quite honestly for the twenty-five budget, is uh, is something that is worth considering, but at the same time. Not at the expense, and this is what I thought the article pointed out, of where we've come from all along, which was to improve our staffing levels. You know, the city is in a battle against people retiring. We have 15% of our 8,700 employees past the age of retirement, 15%. And we're seeing that manifest across the board in what has proven to be a really difficult job market. But at the end of the day, historically, the city's always budgeted for those positions which was the thing that was erroneously reported. They were always budgeted, but then they would pull back those monies and use them for other purposes instead of focusing on what we came in and said and what I absolutely believe, that if we're gonna run an effective city, if we're gonna get this city to work right, you need people, you need manpower. And so we did all that work, all the diagnostics. We found out that there was a lot of myth to the situation. It was a long time to even get hired, 180 days. I mean, you know, we just, you know, so, you know, I. Our position is the correct one, as far as I'm concerned, and in, in, in what we're trying to get done with the city, and I'm hoping that we're gonna prevail while we figure out some other way to provide a long-term tax exemption. But for somebody to say right now, knowing what we're up against way of retirements, knowing what we've been up against historically, and not being able to maximize the core city services that we'd like, the way we'd like to do it, that people are entitled to, do, to have, um, uh, we're on the right side of right on this one. I'm hoping that we're gonna prevail. You mentioned the vacancies. If these positions are budgeted for, uh, one of the issues Chair brought up during his start advertiser spotlight interview was whether city officials should receive pay raises while thousands of city positions, you know, particularly the HPD positions, remain I, vacant. I don't know if you brought that up. You know, the issue of the pay raise was a salary commission decision. For the last two years, first of all, I came into office, Mayor Caldwell waived it in 2020. We waived it in 21 and 22. By city charter, I was asked as mayor, okay, if I would recommend wages for our, t our administration. And I said this year, unlike the first two years, yes, I would recommend. I had no idea. I didn't put any numbers on a page, okay? We turned it over to the Salary Commission. It's now been approved five to one. They came back, and they're the ones that designated 12 and a half percent, okay? Now, I would tell you that I am a strong proponent of those pay raises for the team that works here, because what some people forget, and I've been reading some of the literature that's gone on about I didn't know at the same time the city council, I had nothing to do with it, would be mm -hmm. reaching for 64.4% raise. The very fact that they voted on 12.5%, which is less than what all of our civil workers have been getting, civil service workers have been getting paid during that time where their raises are, even less, as I saw an article in Monday's paper, about the 14.4% mm -hmm. that was approved for teachers. Nobody in the city administration is overreaching, but I'm gonna say this, our people are people too. 
irrespective of what they knew they signed up for. There's been a lot of sacrifice going on. They're raising families as well. This economy has been in an inflationary cycle and shows no sign, no sign of going back to where things used to be. And people have got to be able to live here. So we didn't overreach. And, you know, you could, you could make that argument forever. This is hard work. I've now worked with the men and women who work in our city and our administration for over two years. You know, I didn't know them, most of them, when we started out. I've grown to appreciate, love, and respect them, and the sacrifice and how hard they work. To me, this is a not, it's, it's, a, it's not a conversation. Everybody out there is working hard. This team deserves a raise. Later today, a meeting is scheduled for Chinatown on crime. Uh, current practices will be talked about as well as future plans around crime. What do you hope to get out of that meeting? Well, I think, you know, not unlike the town halls, and, and actually last week I was at the Kalee Palama uh, Neighborhood Board meeting, and we're trying to do this community outreach. outreach. Continue to listen. Continue to listen. Um, in fact, last Saturday I spoke to uh, the Chinese Civic Organization mm-hmm. um, at uh, Legend Seafood. Uh, we just want, to, we want, to, we want them to know that Chinatown is a priority for us, and we want them to be able to see firsthand what we're doing because there's a lot we're trying to overcome and even though as much as we've done there's still much more to do but we want to reassure them through the actions to date and what our plans are like right now we're underway with Kei Kalike mm-hmm. this you know the other day was what we're going to take into the media late today is we're going to show them one of the 52 new cameras we're going to talk about increased police we have an idea for increased police surveillance we had already appropriated a lot of money just the fact that we have so such a shortage that we haven't had enough police officers volunteering to work overtime, right? So we want to talk about that. I think more than anything, Brandy, we don't want to duck the tough stuff. I want to hear directly from them uh, where the pet peeves are. Look, we're aware of homelessness. We're aware of drug deals. We're aware of people, bad guys down there, terror. We're all of that stuff, and we're doing everything we can to make the place feel safe, clean, where people can live, work, play, etc. But I, I want to stay in the conversation with them. And that's the reason why we're having the meeting later today. What is that going to look like? You mentioned the camera. Is there going to be like a show and tell? What's the timeline for this? Because that was kind of an issue when, you know, the, I guess the electric part of the, you know, when are these cameras going to be put in? Who's going to be monitoring them? Yeah. What is that going to look like when you explain that well, to Well, we've ordered 52 cameras. The city currently had 26 in camera positions, of which 21 were not working and haven't worked for the longest time. The ones that have worked have actually proved to be a, a good deterrent. There's been a couple of crimes that were caught on video mm-hmm. and led to prosecution, which is probably the highest and most effect. It's just, look, it's not the single be-all, end-all. We're obviously, um, while there may not be somebody, we can develop a community volunteer team to watch the videos, but even if over the fact that uh, there might not even be somebody monitoring it by the moment like you ideally would like to have, nice thing is, maybe you've seen this in movies, you know, when something happens, somebody robs a gas station or something, or something, they'll go and they'll say, mm-hmm. where's your video? And they'll look at it after the fact. So if we can prevent something from happening, great. Or certainly come to the aid of somebody, if somebody were to see something in that moment. Uh, but in the, in the worst application would be we would have recorded, hopefully, something that was done wrong and that could lead to recognition in prosecution. We're getting pretty close to a, a draft report for the Alawai yeah. flood control project. One of the most divisive issues that came up last week was that wall that's going to be built, six foot tall wall. That's part you know, of No, I don't know if that's a divisive issue. If not, I'd like to show people pictures of the destruction. 
Okay, that's what they need to look at. You know, we're trying to protect ourselves. We've got 200,000 people at that base, and we're working with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers in an unprecedented way. Our community outreach has been more than extensive on this, the collaboration, the input, whatever. If we have to build something because of the force of nature, so be it. It will be done tastefully. It will be done correctly. But all they got to do, come on, anybody, look at what's on national television right now. Look at the flooding and all the ravaging in the cities and the countless people. Night after night, it's mind-numbing. And city after city, not just people living in rural areas, they sit there and go, I've lived here my whole life. I've never seen anything like this. If they're worried about a six-foot wall, they're worried about the wrong thing. And you mentioned the community outreach. It was done a little differently for this iteration. Well, I think it's been, do you think yeah. we do you think we did enough? I, I, well, I don't know if you ever. Can, I don't think in today's world, in the battle against social media, mm -hmm. where everybody seems to have an opinion and they put out a lot of misinformation out there, and it's hard for people to separate. That you have to work against that. You can't. So in that spirit, you really can't over communicate. But I think the combination of the, the, the town halls that they've had on Zoom, the outreach, the website, the communication, the ongoing back and forth, this has been a really bent over backwards um, experience of trying to listen to the community on what matters. At the end of the day, there's only so many things you can do with a flood mitigation proposal. You, if you can't leave it alone and say, let nature take care of itself, which I've heard some people say, okay, and I would tell you that's just flirting with disaster. And everybody and anybody involved on the subject will tell you that. And I've been up there at the top of Tantalus. I've seen how the water flows. We've seen it before when we had a rain bomb seven or eight years ago, which wiped out the Hamilton Library at the university and so on and so forth, not the least of which was a lot, a lot of destruction in Manoa. Um, and, and what we've got at risk in uh, 200,000 people, as I said earlier, that live in Waikiki, not the least of which is Waikiki is sort of an epicenter for us as far as our overall state economy and so on and so forth. This is the right thing to do. You know what? I wish the world wasn't like this. If people want to talk about a six-foot wall and they have a problem about that, go out and do something that's conducive to helping us fight climate change. And, you know, I'm sorry that we have to build something you may not like to protect you, but that's the time we're living in kind of tailing on that, since we last had you on, we celebrated Earth Day. And you signed a pledge to our keiki. Uh, your cabinet also took part in several volunteer events on Earth Day, Earth Weekend. Yep. Um, and while that's great, are we doing enough to protect our planet all year long? It's kind of a one no, weekend thing we know, signed a and pledge. I, and I, I, have, huh, I have read so much on this. You know, It says no matter what we do, we're not going to be doing enough and get what we're up against. I don't mean to be so pessimistic. Mostly because we seem to have a philosophy in our country much more in tune, and other countries as well, with the issue of climate change. We still have a lot of people um, who don't believe that, who are indifferent towards that, who are not doing whatever. But we've got major countries elsewhere in the world who are not helping. And so, you know, um, there's been a lot of abuse out there. We're seeing it. I can't tell you if I watch one more YouTube story about the melting of the glaciers and everything else that, you know, we've heard about. Um, it's, this is real concern. And, and look, I don't want to be the alarmist. I think there's a short-term, mid-term, long-term. But I think like any survival endeavor, when they talk about the plight of man and what we're up against in, in our planet, 
we just need to be doing everything we possibly can and be mindful of that and see what that turns out. Now, in the meantime, earlier this week, the other night, I watched an incredible piece on 60 Minutes, and it was all about what they're doing you know, up in Iceland and, and being able to take CO2 out of the atmosphere. And I mean, technology and the brains in this world and the scientists may end up saving the planet because man himself, man himself right now, the indifference of people, the ignorance, it's pretty staggering. I know you watch a lot of things on YouTube. I don't have any time to watch regular <laughs> TV. I got to kind of like, it's like appointment television when I get to put it on at night because it's always weird times. And that's coming from a guy who lived with like six monitors at a minimum in my office for years and watching things all day long. I, I just, you know, the days here are just full of a lot of meetings and, and people stuff, which I love. Uh, and I just don't get, I don't just don't get to the TV screen anymore. In all of your browsing, have you come across any videos of Iam Tongi? He's a kid from Kohoku oh, that is on American Idol right somebody now. Somebody just sent me a video of him. I want to see it. I heard he's killing it. He's winning the hearts of, of the world. Yeah. And he has a chance of going pretty far. Isn't that great? Um, yeah, but what's your message to folks like that? You know, this young kid from Kohoku, he kind of mentions in the show oh, he didn't grow up with a lot of money. My message is... Lost his father. My message is always the same thing. You know, anything is possible. Dream big. Go for it. Don't listen to anybody. You know, the one thing I can say in life, so many times that I've had the privilege of knowing some and certainly listening and to others, so many people when they get through these journeys of incredible success, they talk about their humble beginnings, you know, where they came from. Very few people ever get sh ushered in and there you are, you know. Greatness is earned. Greatness is earned. And in, in this competitive world that we live in, even more so today. So I just, you know, when you see somebody breaking through and breaking past all that stuff, and just, it's it's exciting. It's incredible. I, I'm, I'm excited for him. I'm excited for Hawaii. I'm excited for his family. Because from a little bit I know about it, you know, he's probably living a moment right now that only he fantasized maybe, maybe didn't even dare to dream like that. And now here he is, and with even more upside. I think that's that's the inspiration for all of us. I, I, I love stuff like that. Something that kids dream about. It's really unfortunate. Only a handful of Hawaii kids heard their name called this year. Um, but last week, I'm not sure if you got to see any of this year's NFL draft. The draft passed me by this year. <laughs> I've asked some of your colleagues what happened. There. But I do know, I do know this from the thing I was at the other night for the zoo last Saturday night was there are two guys from St. Louis High School going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm -hmm. but I don't know who the two guys are. I just happened to hear somebody say that uh, during the cocktail hour, and I, don't, I didn't even have a chance to walk away. I was going to ask them who, but no, I, I, this, is, um, this is the first time I can remember <laughs> where I even had to ask somebody a couple of days after, I guess, who was who picked first. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know. I, I, I didn't know. When I found out, you know, uh, it was a quarterback from Alabama, I wasn't surprised, but I didn't even know that. Who do you have winning the NBA Finals? Have you gotten to watch any games? No. I did watch a period of the Bruins game yesterday and then the overtime period. I think I, I had nothing to do with jinxing them, but unfortunately oh. they lost. But no, I, last Sunday. But I, uh, no, I, I look, I'm just going to, I understand from your colleagues that the Celtics are still alive. <laughs> I'm going to cheer for the Celtics blindly out of youthful loyalty. Head coach Charlie Wade and his guys take the court tonight yeah. in this year's NCAA tournament. Yeah. What's your message to this year's Rainbow Warriors? Boy, it's the same thing we talked about this young man, you know, living the dream and going for broke. I don't think anybody's won three of them. 
they have a chance, mm -hmm. not that they haven't already put themselves in the record books and won the hearts of our city and our, our state. Um, they got a real chance here to do something really incredible to three-peat. And um, I just, it's exciting. It really is, you know, for the last two years now, we've seen the good it's done. We've talked often in this office in our post-COVID environment of us as a team trying to regain trust with the public, but also doing things that we can to build hope in the community. Um, stuff like this is the stuff that, that's that magic thing that brings communities together. I'm, I'm very excited, I can't wait, can't wait to see the match tonight. Yeah, Mayor, when you talk about teams, your team is changing a bit. Yeah. We had to say goodbye to someone at DFM, yes. um, Department of Facility Maintenance, yes. who was a, a real asset. Yeah, I, and I, I hope it's appropriate for me to say um, Dawn Subcheck. I, I loved Dawn in that role. I was so proud of her. She did such a great job. And um, her team loved her as well. And uh, and I actually said in her announcement that, you know, she's a great engineer, but she might have, you know, she's also a really great leader. And, and I know because I've toured the base yards with her. She had a wonderful deputy, Warren Mamazuka, who is now the interim. But Dawn's gone. She's gone. She, Got a great offer from the private sector. We talked long and hard about it over several months. And with her and her young family, she really couldn't say no to that. And Mayor, something that I'm particularly proud about, when we look at your cabinet now, we're talking about shifting. Yep. Uh, you have a lot of talented wahine now taking leadership we positions. Do. We do. Uh, let's talk about the Department of Land Management. Well, <clears throat> you know, Kat Tashner, uh, when she joined us, uh, a couple of years ago, she left as a partner at McCorson. Even Bill McCorson, who I love and revere, and he's got one of the biggest law firms in downtown mm -hmm. Honolulu, if not the biggest, called me up and said, what are you doing? I said, hey, hey, you know? A cat came to work for us, and she's been the deputy, and she's been a driving force. She's a deal maker. She knows the business inside and out. And so it just so happened that Scott Ashley's made a decision to leave, and um, and he'll be joining, I probably shouldn't say this, he's gonna be, I know where he's gonna go work, and it's a good place for him. And I was concerned because Kat has a young child, whether or not she'd be willing to step up and take on the heavy demands of the job, and she jumped at it. So we've drawn up the resolution, gonna present it to the city council, but I'm very excited about Kat taking over land management because as we evolve now, and really clearly getting operational as a city on, our, on what we're doing with housing, which is something we've promised all along, DLM, Department of Land Management, is an integral part you know, of what we're doing. We now have Denise Siri Matsubara is in as our Director of Housing and Homelessness. Those two work really, really well together. And as we start to formalize on our hit list of things we want to get done, it gets more and more credibility by the day because I have such great confidence in her ability to make those things happen. We're getting a little closer to our rail opening. Yeah, yeah. People have questioned you on that start. Well, you know, I, we are look, full steam I, ahead. I look. I think that Lori Kaikina, talking about another strong woman we have in our ranks, is the president and CEO of Heart. Happens to be a hell of an engineer. She used to be the director of environmental services here. Made a comment that she gasped in the <laughs> state of the city when I decided to say July instead of summer, and you know um, that got picked up. It really did. I think more got said out of that than needed to say. But you know what? Every now and then, this is what you do. You say, it's like working out in the gym. You say, I'm gonna get to 10 reps today. I'm gonna get to 10 reps today. You make that determination. Summer just sounded a little bit too vague. And look, I gave him the whole month of July. Clock's ticking. I feel very confident 
we are going to make that deadline. Very confident. I think we'll be making an announcement that I hope will even be surprising to a lot of people very shortly. As we prepare for that day, are you prepared for that day? This is yeah. arguably one of the biggest. It's historic. Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. I've been told that people from the FDA in Washington want to come out and perhaps maybe even Peter Buttigieg is going to come, uh, the Secretary of Transportation, which would be great, uh, a lot of other people. I think that um, more than anything, I'm excited for our community, uh, just the fact that we actually get rail to be operational instead of what was just only yesterday speculated about source of unrest, anger, frustration, you know, disbelief, if you will, after years of budget overruns and time delays and just one story after the other. I think what we've tried to do in our administration is bring clarity to that, not just to the community, but to our construction partners, the FTA, within the heart itself, on that team, with the board, with the city council, we have a lot of agreement all the way around. The fact that we got the FTA to come back to the table as a construction partner says that they believe in what we're doing. Uh, we've announced a whole different you know, um, model from what was talked about before that is, seems to be feasible. And I gotta tell you, Brandy, and this is the truth, I went from a campaign item, if you will, where after countless Zoom calls and each and every one of those, you know, there was sort of a hit list of people wanting to talk about things and complain and and rail was on every conversation. I don't think I ever got out of a Zoom call without somebody or a number of people lamenting rail. Hardly ever, and I do a fair amount of public speaking and public engagements, I, I hardly ever have anybody ask me anything about the rail. And what I hear more often, and I swear to you this to be true, what I'm hearing now is people want to know, okay, how are we going to do the next phase? Can we get it to Almona? How much deeper into Kapolei? Do you think someday we can get it to UH? It's all in the positive, and we haven't begun to operate. I think once we begin to operate, I have a lot of confidence in Roger Morton, John Nowucci, and our entire team uh, at DTS, and we get the stations cleaned up, which is what we're in the process of doing. And I think when people see, uh, and Hitachi's going to, you know, be in control of it. I mean, I, I was just at a meeting the other day, and we're bringing world-class skill to this. I think people are going to be very pleased and very surprised, and uh, and we go from there. I've heard one complaint: the trees yeah. <laughs> that are built along the rail line. Kiki now, but once they get I a know, little bit, are they I, supposed I, to grow I, that big? I, I think I lost that argument. That <laughs> went on. I was getting these calls in a radio show. Finally, I got told, shut up. The arborists know what they're doing. Of course we wouldn't do that. And I have people whispering in my ears going, yeah, don't believe them. I don't know, but I'm not an arborist. I'm not an expert, certainly, on certain kinds of Hawaiian palm trees. I do know that they want to make the rail line as attractive and as aesthetically pleasing as possible. It's already an incredible piece of mm -hmm. construction. It really is. So, you know, and at the stations, they have all that carving done mm -hmm. around the stations and whatever, and um, I'm just hoping that's gonna work. But the last time I checked, it takes quite a while for a palm tree to grow, and um, I, 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 I don't know if I could grow as long, I don't know if I can live as long as it takes for a palm tree to grow. <laughs> I'd like to think that, but I don't know. It's a little morbid, um, but on that note, Mayor, this is the One Oahu podcast, yeah. so what's your one final thought? Well, look, my one final thought comes back to what I mentioned earlier about our team. I mean, we're now in a place where we have high expectations for everybody, and we're going to start delivering on deliverables. I think we've already done a great deal that's take nothing away, uh, but we also all understood and felt the responsibility we shared together and the need to make things happen. I'm, I'm, counting, on, um, I'm counting on us really 
pumping up the volume, as they say. Mayor, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. And if you have a question for the mayor, submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast. And it's another Town Hall Thursday tonight. We'll be in Waialua for a meeting that starts at 7 p.m. Then the following week on Thursday, May 11th, we'll be at Alawai Golf Course Clubhouse to hear from residents in Makali, Mo'ili'ili, Manoa, Pololo, and Waikiki. That meeting starts at 6 p.m. We hope to see you there. Until next time, aloha. Aloha.